John stating why he had written to them. <clears throat> and we looked at this morning how he said in verse 4 of chapter 1 that he written that their joy might be full. And a direct bearing on whether we have joy in our lives is whether we have unconfessed sin in our life. <clears throat> and so he addresses that. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And we talked about all of that this morning. <clears throat> and then when he gets to the close of the book, in the fifth chapter, and about six, seven verses before the last verse, in verse 13, <clears throat> he gives another reason for writing. These things have I written unto you in chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so he wanted them to make sure that they knew that they were saved. Oftentimes when we lose our joy, and our sin in our lives, there can come the question, well, if I'm really saved, why am I doing these things? And most of the time the reason is because we try to serve the Lord in the flesh and not allow the Spirit of God to work. And, and uh, he wants us to make sure because of cultural Christianity and the absence of joy and sinful behavior it all causes us to doubt. <clears throat> and uh, sometimes it's legitimate. Because he says not only did he write these things that they might know, but they also that they might believe. And so sometimes, somehow, they get caught up in a cause or a way or easy believism and way, saying a prayer and not really having anything take place in their heart. Uh, there can come false professions. And so he's going to write some things that's going to help us to determine that. When we're in that position of not knowing for sure if we're saved, <clears throat> it's right where Satan wants us. We're on the sidelines. We're not in the midst of the fray. And so a double-minded man, the Bible says, is going to be unstable in all his ways. And that's sure, surely true of the professing Christian who's doubting his salvation. And so John is going to say some things very specifically. And, and there's a lot more than what we're going to cover. But the ones that we will look at this afternoon are going to be very direct, very understandable and very, very easy to line up against our own lives. When we talk about this, this salvation, the reason I wanted you to, you know, listen and take notes if you, you so desire, is that we may be in a place someday where we question our salvation, but we may be in a place someday where we need to talk to someone. Predominantly, I would say predominantly um, in independent Baptist ranks, 
uh, Southern Baptist ranks, there's this easy prayerism mentality for salvation. One, two, three, repeat after me, and four, five, six, I hope it sticks. And salvation is a matter not of just uh, agreeing to facts, but it's a heart belief, and repentance is involved. And so there's really two distinct areas that we would look at when we're counseling others or examining our own selves. One area would be exactly what did you believe? And that would have to do with kind of an objective look at things in that what, what is it that you, you did? What, what happened? What did you believe? It's kind of like the old illustration of a train. The salvation is pictured as a train with fact, faith, and feelings. That, that belief is based upon the fact of some truths of the Word of God, that we're all sinners, that we're condemned to die, that repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, the faith and repentance is involved. The fact that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. There ought to be, when we're talking to somebody about being saved, we ought to ask them, well, when you believed in the Lord, what did you believe? And you're going to find sometimes they have no, no, no facts at all. They have no understanding at all about, they just walked the aisle or somebody prayed for them. So, Salvation is based upon solid facts of the Word of God. But in that little train illustration, not only is it the fact and the faith, but there's also the feelings. And actually, there are some experiences that should come out of true belief. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Well, what changed in you? What are the experiences that you have experienced? And so... That's what, that's what John is going to write about, and he's going to uh, note them very clearly and very specifically, helping us to know we've had eternal life. And so the first one would be back in the, in the passage that we looked at this morning in chapter 1 and verse 7. True believers walk in fellowship with God. <clears throat> So I asked myself, are you fellowshipping with God? In verse 7, but we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're walking in the light. Before salvation, even though I was saved at 13, and there wasn't a lot of water went under the bridge in my life yet, still there was things that I did that which was right in my own eyes. I did that which I wanted to. And after salvation, there was a desire to do that which was right in God's eyes. Uh, before salvation, I didn't even like to think about God. I remember uh, numerous occasions when the message was preached and the song was sung and uh, to close the services, and I headed out the back door, not going out the door where the preachers always stand and shake your hands, but cutting out the back door 
and trying to get down to the playground on the school ground that was next to the church and get my mind occupied and seeing how high I could swing or what I, how long I could hang on the monkey bars. And I wanted to escape that. I didn't even want to think about God. I didn't want to retain him in my knowledge. But here, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another, us and God. So the first question I would ask myself and ask others is about what is your relationship with the Lord? Do you love him because he first loved you? Does anything ever pass between you and him in an innermost being? Is there any ever been a cleansing in your life? You've ever known that he's forgiven you? What have you experienced? It's much more than just saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and getting up and say that you're saved. It was, it was really, uh, the other day I was watching a podcast, and, uh, and Elon Musk, who's a very rich man, trying to get to the planets, and I think he's involved in an electric car, and you probably know more about it than I do. But he, these guys, there's a, a group called the Babylon Bee, and it's supposed to be kind of a religious podcast. And they were talking to Elon Musk, and he was saying that at 12 years old, he kind of had a, an experience in his life where he determined that God was, there was a God, he, there was a creator, and that and that uh, he believed that there was a creator. And uh, they, the uh, moderator said, well, have you ever th- thought about salvation? And, and he said, well, if, um, if God is willing, you know, if God is wanting to save me, if God wants to save me, then I'm willing to be saved. You know, whatever he wants to do, I mean, I'm willing to be saved. And the two, two moderators raised their hand and went like that and said, there you have it. He said he wanted to be saved, so he's saved. Well, that's not salvation. And it's really, I mean, and obviously Elon Musk, as you heard a little bit about it, he obviously is searching. And, and so salvation has to be something that involves fellowship. It involves God being manifested in our life. And so the first question is that, do you walk in fellowship with God? The second question that I think that we ought to ask is, do you ever confess your sin? In 1 John 1, 9 and 10, we really covered that this morning. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. As a child of God, have you ever experienced the loss of joy? As a child of God, have you ever known with a clarity that you've disobeyed, that you have displeased him? One of the things that the book of Hebrews says, it says this, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards, or illegitimate, and not sons. And so 
he's saying, he's saying that one of the signs of being saved is God doesn't let his child just get away with what he wants to get away with. And if there's habitual sin in my life and I just practice this sin, I just do this all the time, I'm always involved in this, then it's a sign that I've not truly been born again because, because I've become a new creature. And so have I ever confessed sin? Has there ever been anything in my life or your life where you know that that was wrong, that you wronged God, and you went the root of 1 John 1, 9, that we confess our sins, we admit with God, and we've had him to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, go with me over to chapter 2, we're in chapter 2, and look at verse 3 and 4. And hereby do we know that we know him. Very, very forthcoming verse here. It says, this is how we know we're saved. Hereby we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. And he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And then in chapter 5 and verse 2, similar words, in chapter 5 and verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now, it's not saying that we'll always keep his mind. It's not saying that we become without sin, that we're sinlessly perfect. But it is saying this. If we're really saved, there's a desire to do what he wants us to do. There should be a desire in our when We will fail. We will have to confess our sins. And he already said, if we say we have not sinned, we're a liar. But is there, is there in your heart a desire to do what God has asked us to do? Is it a desire to forgive others? Is it a desire to, you know, uh, the great commission to teach them to observe all things, what shall I have commanded you? The, the, is there a desire to do those things that your heavenly Father asks of you, or is it, ah, you know, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it? We need to have a desire deep down within us it involves a proactive approach to obeying God and, and obeying Scripture. And is there a desire to obey? Do we want to obey? Do we want to be pleasing? Do we want our Heavenly Father to be pleased with us? Is there any kind of a disappointment with not being pleased? And so there ought to come in the heart of a saved person when he understands that he's doing wrong to change, to quit it. And if that's not found there, then it's an it's a indicator that there's nothing happened in my life, that I'm not doing just to be accepted at others. That, 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 you know, it's like, like years ago, um, when I first came here, before they'd called me and I came up here to preach a revival and didn't know that they were going to, consider me to come as pastor but we were over there in the building that's the only building there was and there were two guys were in there finishing up and and uh, uh, I, the preacher said something to the, one of the guys he said I sure you know I sure appreciate you doing this and being here and and <laughs> he said something outstanding that I never did get away from 
And he said, well, I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> He's doing it for the Lord. And do we ever, do we ever have a desire to keep his commandments because he's asked us to. Not just so we'll fit in the group, not just so we can dot our I's and cross our T's, but my Heavenly Father has asked me to do this. There ought to be a desire to keep his commandments. So number one, fellowship with God, which includes this desire to keep his commandments, to confess our sins and then keep his commandments. And then number three, back in, back in chapter 2 again, in verse 9, he that saith he is of the, in the light, that he's walking with God, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. And then in chapter 3, in verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother, his spiritual brother. And then in uh, chapter, or verse 14 and 15 of this chapter 3. We know that we have passed from death into life. That is, we know we're saved. Because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. But whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And then in chapter 5 and verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his Commandments. So we have both the commandment and the love, but it, there's, a, there's a different aspect about how we view Christian brethren. Before we're saved, it depends sometimes on the age that you were saved at, but actually, you know, uh, we look at Christians, you know, it says that we're peculiar people, and that word really means that we're people that belong to the Lord. But oftentimes, uh, Christians are looked at as peculiar. They're a little weird. They don't have any fun. They're a little bit out there. Not someone that we want to invite over on, on a party where we're going to watch the, the uh, World Series and uh, have a few beers. Not quite the people that we hang out with. But, and oftentimes before we're saved and they're witnessing to us, uh, they're a plague to be avoided. But he says here, when we get saved, it's completely different. I've told you the story about when I was probably 11 or 12, and uh, this visiting preacher came, and uh, I, I didn't get saved till I was 13. And he preached, and that day, 
Uh, I couldn't go out the back door. I had to go out the front door and had to uh, shake hands with the visiting preacher. And uh, the other, our preacher was there. And when I went to shake hands, he, uh, he, he grabbed a hold to shake my hand, but he didn't let go of it. And he looked me in the eyes and said, son, are you saved? And I, he, I, I got disconnected from his hand pretty quick. And uh, if I'd have been about 15 years old, he'd, find, he'd have found out what a redneck from Eastern Oregon does. <laughs> Pop him right in the nose. I mean, I, he embarrassed me. It was a threatening question. It's something that I didn't enjoy. And I left that place uh, upset with him. Didn't want, didn't ever want to see him again. But you know, when I got saved, my whole attitude changed about those kind of people. It was a love for the brethren. There ought to be a love for the brethren. I've often thought one of the most miserable places to be is to be a member of a Baptist church and not be saved. Miserable. There's no love. And so, do you love God's people? Listen, this, we shouldn't take it personally when people visited our church and as soon as, as, soon as uh, the last prayer is said, uh, they go out the door as fast as they can. And they get in their car and they leave as quick as they can. And they don't come back. That's because Josh didn't take a shower that week and stunk the place <laughs> up. <laughs> no. There's no love for the brethren. There's nothing, the Lord is not in their heart. Because even when Josh stinks, I still love him. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a, there's a love. And, and only God can do that. Because actually, before I saved, everybody like you who are saved were weird. And I didn't want to be weird. But after, we have the same father and we're family and there's a love. And so, we walk in fellowship we confess our sins, we want to keep his commandments, and we love the brethren. And then true believers are going to uh, receive doctrine, but particularly true believers are going to affirm that Jesus Christ is God. Look what it says in chapter 2 again, and verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I've written, let's see, I want to go to 23. <coughs> I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies are the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is a Christ? He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. And so the person who denies that the Father that Jesus Christ is of the same nature as God the Father, that is, he's deity, they're antichrist. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. So he's saying that 
The nature, uh, the nature of my sons are they're humans. And the nature of God's son is he's godly. He's deity. And so, listen, the Mormons are not saved. The Seventh-day Adventists are not saved. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Look over in chapter 4 and verse 2. Chapter 4 and verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Not only that he's deity, but actually he was God in the flesh. And then down in verse 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. And so what you believe testifies to what you, uh, you possess. Last night I was looking on, the, on my computer and this guy was lecturing about uh, the last days and about the mark of the beast and, and, uh, and how we could know about Antichrist and when Antichrist is going to come and how he can be identified and you know, he was given a pretty good spill there. He wasn't reading a lot of scriptures. And I thought, well, I'll just hear this guy out and see where he comes from. And so finally he gets over and said, it's, it's very clear to know the mark of the beast. And then he said, you know, read some verses about the Sabbath day in the Old Testament. And then he gets over and said, if you're worshiping on Sunday, you have the mark of the beast upon your life. Well, it was Seventh-day Adventists. And they believe you can lose your salvation. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. And, uh, or they might. I'm not sure what they believe about Jesus Christ. But they believe works salvation. And so it matters what you believe concerning Jesus Christ. And so the sixth thing is true believers pursue holiness. Chapter 2 and verse 21:9 If you know that he is righteous you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God there's a desire for righteousness in my life and then in chapter 3 and verse 3 Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure whoso committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin is a transgression of the law there's a desire to purify ourselves, to live a godly life. And then in verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, Whoso abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. And this word, sinneth not, you have to understand here, it's not talking about sinless perfection, but it's important, the tense of the word. When it says sinneth not, it's in the present tense, which means continually sin. Whoso abideth in him sinneth not, doesn't continually sin, doesn't habitually sin, but whosoever habitually sins has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. 
He that committeth sin is of the devil, again, perpetual sin, for the devil sinneth not from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so there's a desire within my life to pursue holiness. And then the seventh identifying factor in chapter 4, true believers have the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4 and verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us his Spirit. That his spirit communes with my spirit, that I'm a son of God. That I've been indwelt. I can't just do what I want to do. He's uh, prodding me. He's leading me. He's convicting me. And then in chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And so he's saying, if you're truly saved... Something's going to be speaking to your heart. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he hath not the Son hath not life. And so there's the presence of God in our lives through the Spirit of God, and, and as the Spirit is related to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we know, if we flesh that out more and went to Galatians, that the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And those things should be growing in our lives if we're saved. And so the reality of whether a person is saved or not, number one, is based upon what do you believe? I mean, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so your salvation experience that you're claiming to give you eternal life, it's got to be based on thus saith the Lord, that all of sin and come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, that, that salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, that repentance is involved, that, that, that only neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved, only one way to be saved, and we absolutely must be saved, and it's only in Jesus Christ. But when that takes place, as we tried to flesh out here a little bit, there ought to be some experiences taking place in my life after I'm saved. And we will have fellowship with God. Man, I can't, uh, I, I never got over the um, going to ch church the Sunday after I was saved. I never cringed anymore at the invitation. I knew I was saved. An overwhelming peace and fellowship with the Lord. And when I, you know, uh, when I sinned after, after that first wonderful and glorious salvation experience and then there came <laughs> a few hours or days or moments later I realized that I disobeyed in sin the crushing 
disappointment in myself and the desire to confess my sins and the desire and to know that he had forgiven me and I was still his, he still loved me and that he buried it in the deepest sea. It ought to be a desire to confess our sins. It ought to be a desire to keep his commandments. It ought to be a change in my heart how I feel about those weird Christians because now I am one. I'm assured of the fact when I say that Jesus is God. I want to pursue holiness. And I realize with a surety that Christ liveth within me. Once far from God, but now Christ liveth. As, as in the cone lives this tree, uh, Christ liveth in me. It's a miracle. The presence of the Spirit of God living within me. And so, hopefully, that may benefit you someday when someone's questioning their salvation. You that have children, these are very solid biblical facts. When your kids come and say, you know, got saved, you know, they want to get saved, and you pray a prayer with them, and you're, you're watching their lives, and you can say, well, has he have a, a tenderness towards sin? Do they have these things that I've talked about? Very practical things. It's kind of, isn't it amazing how practical God's word is? It's practical. All right? Okay, go out and make it a good week. You're dismissed. <laughs>